How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, it's been a while, man. How you doing? It's been a hot minute, that's for sure. And uh, it's good to be back, man. For sure, man. For sure. I mean, what has it been now? Five, six weeks since we last did our last episode? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty good vacation. Absolutely, man. So, Tim... Today's episode, we are going to be looking at the 2019 draft class for our Ottawa Senators because the draft has happened this past weekend. Now, before we do that, we got to do a little house cleaning because, as we said off the top, we've been gone for probably five to six weeks, and a lot of stuff has happened since then. Yeah, it's been an impressive offseason for us. For sure, man, for sure. Now, before we go into talking anything, we got to give a couple of congratulations. First of all, we've got to give a congratulations to the St. Louis Blues on winning their first Stanley Cup in a thrilling seven-game series against the Boston Bruins. But more importantly, Tim, the country of Canada has a National Basketball Association title for the very first time. Yeah, and I'm a little sad that I, I could only watch one game. I unfortunately didn't get a chance to watch any of the games. I only watched the minute of the final game when we won. And we got to give a congratulations to the Toronto Raptors, who finally, after years and years of heartbreak, finally bring a national pro sports title to the city of Toronto. I think that's the first one in my lifetime. Because I don't think I was... Was I? I don't, I'm not sure if I was alive for their World Series win. When were you born? You were born in August 92? No, they won in 93. No, they won in 92 as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, they won, so ba- they won back-to-back 92, 93, and then they pretty much did nothing after that. Hey, they went to the they went to the AL Finals one year. Yeah. That was all right. That's all right. But yeah, the Toronto Raptors, the NBA Finals champions, finally bringing a big four sports title to the city of Toronto. So actually it's funny. The meme that perfectly summed it all up was this meme that actually Adam sent me. And it was a picture of Homer in the episode Homer versus the city of New York, where he's standing next to his car with the boot on it. He goes, what the hell is this thing? And it's just a <laughs> caption of like the Leafs logo is Homer. And the boot was a Toronto team making the finals. Pretty much. Uh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, yeah, congratulations to both the St. Louis Blues and the Toronto Raptors for winning their first championships. I guess I can't call them the Crafters anymore, can I? No, although I will say, though, the most entertaining thing of that whole NBA Finals was not the fact that we won our first title. It's not Drake trolling Steph Curry's dad. It was the feud between Drake and Smash Mouth. Did you not see that? No, I was in Tokyo. Well, what happened was that uh, when the Raptors made the NBA Finals, Smash Mouth tweeted at Drake being like, hey, you better not pull that shit against 
uh, up in Canada where you walk under the court. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's actually funny because Smash Mouth is playing a music festival here in town in a few weeks, and I was saying to somebody, Wait. I really hope when Smash Mouth comes on the stage, the crowd starts chanting, We the North, We the North. Wait, Smash Mouth has gotten to the point where they play Duncan? Well, late couching. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's Smash Mouth nowadays, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Moving on from there, we actually got to talk about a little something that you and I started at the beginning of last season, and we were talking about, because we wanted to do some good with the podcast, and we wanted to raise some money for a good cause, and we decided we would make a donation to the Ottawa Senators Foundation and a proxy for the player that we chose for it, the Golden Knights Foundation as well. So, so I would like to announce that the Third Line Plug Senscast has raised $117 for the Sens Foundation and $23 for the Golden Knights Foundation. Now, what we talked about was that we would donate $1 if Thomas Shabbat and Mark Stone would score a goal, and we would also donate a dollar if either of the players got an assist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we expand it for next year. <laughs> Yeah, we're definitely going to have to think about who we're probably going to choose. I think we have a pretty good idea of who we're going to choose for next year, but, you know, we'll talk about that at a later time. Yeah, and, uh, well, I don't think we have many choices, to be honest. No, that's true. That's true. Unless Spezza comes back. Do we make a donation for every time he does the Spez laugh, though? Of course. Yeah, we'll have to talk about what kind of money we would have to spend on that, though. But... We'll leave that for a later time, Tim. Mm-hmm. Now, Tim, probably one of the biggest things that happened to us over our break, we officially joined a podcast network. Yeah, and it seems like a pretty good deal at this point. Yeah, so i got to give a shout-out to the National Podcast Network for officially bringing us on as their seventh NHL podcast, and we are the very first Ottawa Senators podcast on the network. Are we the not cool kids because we're not covering Philly sports, though? No, we're sort of like... How do I describe that? We're, we're definitely not the hipster kids. Because we were we were cheering for the Senators when they were cool. True. Uh, I don't know. We're like the... Uh, I don't know. We're definitely the ones that stand out, though. Because from the podcast that I was looking at there, it's definitely heavy on the Flyers. And there's one other team that's represented, and that is the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's the Pennsylvania and Us Network? Yeah, pretty much, man. So just a little background on the National Podcast Network. They are based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, like I mentioned. They're heavy on the Philadelphia Flyers, given that we are the first podcast dedicated to the Ottawa Senators. Large Flyers podcast on the network, like I said. Now, this part, I think we could break a little bit of kayfabe here, Tim. They are not the first podcast network that reached out to us. Yeah, and like every time that we've had, every other time we've had a network kind of reach out, it's always been kind of sketch. Yeah, because it's always, well, you know, if you come on to our show, there would be financial aspects to it that you would gain from it. But in doing that, we would have some creative control over what you guys do. And we're like, yeah, no, we really don't want to do that. So when National Podcast Network reached out to us and... We were both hesitant because obviously we had had our experience talking to other networks 
and we're just like, ah, I don't know about this. They want us to change things or do something that we don't want to do. They want ad reads too. That too. And so in talking to them, it seems like, you know, they didn't want to put us under a contract. There was going to be no financial aspects needed in any of that stuff. And they just really wanted to bring on a lot of good hockey podcasts. And after some chatting with them, I just looked at you and I was like, you know what? They're really not giving us any choice to, or they're not giving us a reason to not say yes. Pretty much. Yeah. So got to give a shout out to them because this is actually our very first official podcast as a member of the National Podcast Network. Sick. Yeah. So let's move on and let's talk about the show a little bit because given that we are now on the network and given that we are going to be heading into our third season, I feel that changes are going to be necessary. And a few things I want to talk about. First of all, and I was talking about this a little bit last season, that I did talk about doing a new theme song. And I have officially come up with a new theme song for season three, which we will be debuting on episode 55, possibly the Sergei Gonchar episode, also known as season three, episode one. I can't believe we've already gone through two seasons. Isn't that nuts? I know. Well, you know what's funny is that, and I was looking at our SoundCloud and iTunes stuff, and I look at some of the episodes and some of the people we've got a chance to talk to, and it's like, man, I don't think Tim and I could have ever imagined we'd be talking to, like, Alex Marchand or Pan from the Sense Call-Ups or even Ian Mendez. Especially Ian Mendez. I know. I just, you know, and I've said in the past, I wish that episode turned out better. Not from a content standpoint, but just how it sounded. There was nothing we could do, though. There was just there was something going on with uh, FaceTime, and nothing we could do could fix. Like nothing any of us could have done would have fixed it. So it's like it is what it is. But it was still a really it was a fun episode to do. Holy shit! Oh, I know it was amazing. And actually, one of my cousin's coworkers uh, discovered the show, and he told my cousin that he was really impressed by some of the episodes we've done. Nice. Yeah. So another thing that we might be changing for season three is your favorite segment and my favorite segment, top of the hour. It goes long. It does go long, and I know this was something that you mentioned to me even last season, that you're like, look, I look at your top of the air today, and I don't know where you're you're going way off track with some of the stories you've been telling and some of the stories you've added. So for next season, I think top of the hour, we will only focus on NHL news stories, and we might throw the odd non-NHL story in there if I feel it is interesting enough. Or it would give us some really good talking points for the show. So that will be a thing. And, of course, for our Battle of Ontario episodes, yes, Monday Night Sense cast and Third Line Plug is War will remain. Amazing. I know. And well, let's think of a WCW one. You know what's funny? I thought about a WCW one for the, for the Flyers episodes. Because, you know, we're on the network and the NPNs are really heavy flyers presence on the network so i think that'd be kind of funny and kind of cool to do yeah actually that makes a lot of sense yeah either that or we could be like uh oh crap one of our friends was showing us this re- this ridiculous british wrestler i forget what his name was it was like big boy or something like that yeah it was just this big fat old dude <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. I'll have to actually look into that, man, because I've been on a bit of a wrestling kick lately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like 80s British wrestling. Oh, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to look into that. 
is is top of the hour still going to have space for my absolute favorite types of stories? Yes. Involving surgical enhancements gone wrong. Yeah, well, you know, the National Podcast Network didn't tell us we couldn't tell those kinds of stories. Amazing. Excellent. So another thing that we are going to be changing is going to be our off-season episodes. And last summer, we did about seven or eight episodes, and we just we banged about over three days when I was up for the Calgary Stampede. And that, that took a lot out of us, because you've got to realize, there's a lot of content, there's a lot of stuff we talked about, and... While it was really good to do, it was a lot of work to put together and edit and upload it every week. So I feel for this summer, we're going to be changing it up a little bit, and we're going to be doing a new episode every two weeks. So you might get, instead of getting eight episodes, you might get four, five episodes this summer, just to give us a bit of a break and to let the episodes breathe a little bit. Mm. Yeah, and honestly, it's it's more regular. Because, it, yeah, like, because it was like we'd go to the stampede, come back, bang out like two or three episodes in a night. It was actually kind of nutty when you actually thought about what we were doing. Yeah, and while they were a lot of fun to do, they did take a lot of work and it was a lot of time to put into it. And I feel that if we do an episode every two weeks, it would help us out a bit since we're not, you know, we're not having to worry about uh, putting up a new episode every week. We're sort of focusing on. We can really put a lot of detail and a lot of focus into the episode we will be doing. And a couple of episodes I can confirm will be coming back for this offseason is our Hockey Hall of Fame wish list episode and the brand new segment that we debuted on our last episode, Redraft. And we have a really good draft here, given that we are on the National Podcast Network based out of Philadelphia. We've got a perfect draft class to talk about for. Is it controversial? It is controversial. It does it does involve players that were both very popular and very polarizing in Philadelphia. I feel I feel like you're giving the game away here. Oh well that's all I'm gonna say though, man. That's all I'm gonna say. But what I will say is that we possibly might be debuting a new episode idea this offseason, but we will definitely be talking about that. Amazing. Does that mean we're not gonna be able to talk about video games? No, because unfortunately, we've already done our best and worst video games list. Which, by the way, and thank you for bringing this up, tell the listeners what you found when you were in Japan. Oh, right. I finally... So, uh, when we did our worst hockey games rundown last year, uh, I was talk- I brought up one that I basically described as River City Ransom as a hockey game. And it turns out that... Uh, Basically, uh, I have to look up the name now because I've gone and forgotten what the actual name was, but uh, they made a whole set of uh, sports games, like sports games and fighting games around uh, the crew from River City Ransom. So, like, Super Dodgeball was part of there. Okay, one second. I'm looking at the rest of it now. Okay. Like, Super Dodgeball was part of it. Uh, something Gakuen. I just can't. I'm looking for it Yeah, now. it was like a card game or something, wasn't it? No, it was just based off. What was that? Uh, fuck, I... uh, that was me. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> Tim, how much you want to bet National Podcast Network is really, really regretting having us on their network now? Tim just farts on the main show. Amazing. 
Oh god! Hey, yeah, look, you just look, you just wait. You tell, oh, believe sorry, me, you yes. just wait till you bring up the uh, the surgical stuff now. Yeah. So the fuckers called uh, sorry the shitty games called Ikeiki Niketsu Hokibu Subete Koronze Dairanto, and it's River City Ransom Hockey. And it turns out that if you play it more, you find lots of ways to exploit the game. Including, you're guaranteed to get a goal if you just skate into the goalie. I know, you were telling me about this, and I did look it up on YouTube, and I was just killing myself laughing, watching, like, this game is awful, like, it just, it lags so bad, and it reminds me a lot of those hockey games on the NES that weren't ice hockey or Blades of Steel, like a Wayne Gretzky's hockey or NHL hockey or one of those kind of games where it's just slow and sluggish and it just doesn't look like it's a lot of fun to play. And that's what it, that reminded me of. It really wasn't. And what was amazing is uh, we were walking through a mall in Nakano Broadway and out of the corner of my eye I saw the Famicom cartridge. I'm like, is that what I think it is? Let's let it lie. I know, because remember, because I asked you, I said, oh, did you pick it up? And you're like, I didn't. Nobody needs to know this exists. Until you messaged me from Japan. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So So another thing we got to talk about, Tim, our goals for season three. And last season we talked about our goals, and our goals, I feel that we met them. Because our goals were, we wanted to have more interviews, we wanted to do more with the podcast, and we were able to do that. Like I said, we brought on... Pan from the Sense call-ups, Alex Marchant, we brought Trevor Shackles back, um, Ian Mendez we got a chance to talk to a few months ago. So what kind of goals at the moment, what kind of goals yeah, do you want I to set for yourself? This for point, I think it's, let's just keep on keeping on, right? Pretty much. I know for myself, a goal that I would like to achieve for Season 3 is, like you said, keep on keeping on, but I do want to try and put... Um, how do I how do I say this? I do want to try and put like a schedule together where it's like we do either an interview or we do something every two months with somebody. Like we'll have say October we'll have an interview, December we'll do our first half recap, February we'll do another interview, and then April we'll bring somebody else on to the second half recap like we did last season. And I feel that we do have some people who have reached out to us, and we will definitely be talking to them regarding some interviews. And I feel that if we can bring them on to the show for season three, I think it'll be great for both of us. Yeah, and I think uh, definitely something that I I don't know how we can get started on this, but maybe this year, maybe not this year, but next year is uh, get a player on. That would be, yeah, that would be cool. Even if we can get like a next player, like that would be cool. Like I know... Oh, God. Um, like Jamie McLennan. Like, he would be cool. He does all the games for TSN, for the Sens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of cool things. We've done a lot of cool stuff. The next end, but there's still so much more cool stuff that we can do. For sure. And, you know, as we said when we interviewed Ian Mendez, we do have our interview wish list, which, by the way, I can break some more kayfabe here. Other than you and myself... Only one other person has seen that list. It's Chelsea. <laughs> no. Okay, you, Chelsea, and myself. Fair enough. Yep, there's only one other person, Tim. That's kind of cool. For sure. Anyway. 
Anyways, I feel that we should go on and talk about our what we've been up to the last five to six weeks because I know we've we've hinted that you were in Japan and I've been on but a wrestling kick. So I'll start with you, Tim. How has Japan been? Because really, I haven't got a chance to talk with you since you've been back, and I didn't talk to you when you were in Japan. So how was Japan? I was basically busy from March, sorry, mid. So we did our last episode, which was redrafted about mid-May, right? Yeah, just before mid-May. And then I've been insanely busy since then. So, even starting back in Calgary, the anime convention, Calgary's anime convention, was on the May long weekend, and Chelsea and I decided that for the first time, instead of just visiting an anime convention, we were going to present. Okay. So uh, Chelsea did a pre- Chelsea did a pre- presentation on dogs in anime, and I used asset pricing techniques to price internet memes to tell people that they should be making internet jokes. It was a stupid amount of fun. But then from there, I presented my first piece of research at the Canada Economics Association conference. Okay, and whereabouts was this? The conference was in Banff. Okay, so just so up the road from that, you guys. Yeah, so it was funny because I had like a late afternoon slot, so like almost no one came, and that was a bit sad. But uh, it was also like late afternoon, you're in the middle of these beautiful mountains, and you've ha- had like seven hours of lectures already. I can understand why I didn't get a lot of folk. <laughs> That's true, but it, as long so, as you can do a presentation from, that really keeps their attention, though, after, like you're saying, they're doing presentations for seven hours, like what kind of stuff were you doing to try and keep their attention after all those hours? Well, I was presenting seven hours, right? So the way it was is like, there's each block was about an hour and a half, well, about an hour, and you had three presenters, and there were several blocks. There was like six blocks before me up yeah. to that point. Okay. So by that point, it was just like trying to be as engaging as you can, like being open. Like economists are usually pretty dialed into things anyway because they're just trying to ask questions to trip up the presenter. So that's kind of the game. Right. So I don't have to do too much. I just have to present the research and not be completely inaudible. And I think that went well enough. And then I left. I went back home. I had dinner in Calgary and then woke up at 3 a.m. to get to the airport. Really? So you were doing your presentation and then going right to the airport? So I went back to Calgary, dropped off my suit, had some leftovers, then woke up at 3 and went right to the airport. So I was in Calgary for maybe 7 hours. Get that. Between Banff and Tokyo. But, so I was going to see a concert, and uh, just the way CEA fell, it overlapped with the first day of the concert, but not the second day. Right. Well, that's not quite accurate. I was able to, I would be flying over on the first day and getting into Japan on the second day. Okay. And I, I set up my flights in such a way that I would get to to I would get to Tokyo with about four hours to get from the airport to the concert hall, which is not a big deal. And then Delta Airlines happened. Now, I did see your post on Twitter about this. Now, from what I understand, I think you've mentioned this on the show in the past. Like, this is not the first time that your flights have either been delayed or canceled or something happened when you've been on, when you've been traveling. Now, can you talk a little bit more about this? So this is probably the worst I've ever been waylaid, though. So I was flying through SeaTac, and 
Seattle is a notoriously shitty airport. And I guess I should have just bit the bullet and flown direct from Calgary and taken a bit less time, given myself less wiggle room through to get to the concert. So I fly into Seattle, everything's fine. And then we load the plane on time at SeaTac. However, we have to sit at the gate for about half an hour because we haven't gotten FAA clearance to leave leave the gate and uh, line up to take off. Okay, fine, whatever. We get the clearance, We st- and then the tow truck's moving us out so we can get onto the taxiway. The tow truck releases, and you hear this awful grinding sound. The landing gear broke. Oh, oh brutal. So I was stuck on the tarmac for another three hours. I missed the first half of the concert. Oh, that sucks. But I I caught more of the concert than I was thinking I was going to get. Right. Because I didn't have a check bag, and I'm young. So I was able to book it through Narita, and I knew enough Japanese to get through without any of this usual them trying to speak English at you, slowing things down. Mm-hmm. So I got out of an international air, one of the world's largest international airports in 15 minutes. Wow, really? Yeah. Because basically what happens is every, everyone was like, oh, I'm tired because of the log flight that I just slept like eight hours on. I'm going to stand on the moving walkway, which left this giant open hallway, and I just booked it down the fucker. And then there's a few staircases, that, but they're pretty shallow. They're not too steep, so I just jumped down them. And then I managed to get in front of my entire flight, including, like, the first class people who get off real quick. Mm-hmm. So I got past all of them just because I was basically flat-out sprinting. And then I got to the bus desk, bought my ticket, and away I went. That's not too bad, though. No, so I managed to get into the cons. So I met my friend who had my ticket, who was just waiting kind of outside. I handed them my luggage. I took my ticket and ran into <laughs> Ran into the concert and I caught the tail end of the second the second note of four sets. Right. And each set was about an hour. And then I caught one of the special encores and uh, as that one, like I got to my seat at the tail end of the one act and I was like, I wonder how long until Chelsea notices. And then like that just ended and I noticed the, I noticed a. Uh, it was a fairly surprising uh, person coming up on stage. It's like, oh, she sings Lovey Dovey songs. I'll wait for the song to start before I tap Chelsea on the shoulder. So, and then Chelsea was really surprised and happy. And then uh, I actually managed to get there. It, and that was the last song before the intermission. Okay. And uh, Chelsea brought me yakisoba breads. Uh, so it's basically fried noodles on a, on a bun. And it was like, Thank God, I've run all this way. I, I was on like a bus for half an hour after getting off my plane. I'm starving. Thank you for bringing me this bread. So the rest of the concert was fantastic. And then after that, uh, we went up north to, uh, like we spent a few more days in Tokyo, then went up north to the most northern prefecture in Japan called Tokaido. Okay. And we spent most of the time in and around uh, the major city, Sapporo. But we also took a day trip up to an abandoned theme park called Canada Canada World. Now, you know what's funny, Tim, is that you? I do remember 
I don't remember if it was it was one of the previous episodes you were talking about this that you and Chelsea were going to go see this Canada World. And I know that I got a chance to see some of the pictures that Chelsea posted on Facebook. Thank you for that, Chelsea. And I got a chance to have a look at it. It looked like you guys had a really good time there. And Canada World, now this is what really fascinated me. And you're going to talk a little bit about this because I was looking at some of the photos and I'm like, it's kind of like here, but it's in Japan. Yes, yeah, so Canada World is a knockoff Anna Green Gables park. Like, it is, the things that they took from the book are basically inch-by-inch inch replicas of the buildings that they made in Avonlea and PEI. Um, Japan loves Anna Green Gables, so that's why they thought that this was going to be a big win, but they built it in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, and this is a really weird thing for Japan, but I didn't have cell reception. That's how far out in the boonies we were. So the park is, like, it's not fully abandoned, but it doesn't operate as a theme park anymore. So uh, the first thing we did is when we got there is, and normally in Japan you can kind of use public transportation to get to everything, right? Right. Not this place. We took a train to another town called from Sapporo to a place called Takimachi, I think. And we rented a car and drove another 45 minutes. So it's really out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, to the point where, you know how highways, they'll have like signs that'll point you to the nearest city? Yep. The signs are pointing you to Canada land with a picture of Anne Green Gables on it. And these signs haven't been updated in like 10, 20 years, so they're faded as all hell. Like, just to give you an idea of where we were. The park itself, it's semi-maintained. So, like, there's parts of it where it's, like, it's clearly abandoned. If you walk on some of the footbridges, you, they might collapse. Right. But some parts are, like, really well-maintained. Like, Anne's house still has, like, electricity. The guest book is still being signed. And they still play, uh, like, like, music from uh, the... Jap- like a Japanese Anna Green Gables cartoon. Wait a minute. There was but a. There was, other uh, sorry, uh, Craig. I did not realize that there was a cartoon based on Anna Green Gables. Yeah, it was in the early. I want to say like the mid to late not eighties. It was a cartoon called uh, Redheaded Anne that was basically just Anna Green Gables, and the Japanese loved the crap out of it because Japan has a soft spot for orphans. Well, I did not know that, Tim. Yeah, and uh, what's interesting is, uh, like, you walk around the park, and it's uh, actually it's some really funny things. Just like I try, I was trying to go into every building, right? And they're all fucking locked, Be- except for the Green Gables house. And uh, we looked into one of the windows, and it was a gift shop, and all the merchandise was still there from when the park closed. And it was like Lilo and Stitch stuff, so you kind of got an idea of when the park closed as well. Yeah, because, I mean, this would have been right around the time the movie came out. And I'm trying to think, did the movie came out, what, 2002? It was like 2002. So it was just like this weird blast from the past. And it was like, what was weird is it wasn't just like merch kind of hastily put into boxes or like half stolen. It looked like they had... Like, the staff had, like, set up the store to open the next morning, and it just didn't. Isn't that creepy? That's pretty creepy, man, because you would think with the Canada World being 
well, semi-closed down that they would have taken everything out of it. No, it's all still there. And another one was uh, we passed by, like, a fake church on the way into the park, and uh, we went up and looked at it, and, like, I couldn't even get close because uh, I think it was, like, it was all overgrown, and I think there was, like, poison oak or something in the area. Right. Because... I was getting. I was wearing shorts for. And I thought it was a good idea to wear shorts that day for some godforsaken reason. And like, I felt my legs starting to get itchy. I was like, okay, I'm not going any closer. But I got a good look at the church, and uh, there was like fiberglass coming out of the windows. Really? Yeah, it was like completely run down. Oh, and one more fun story. Uh, there's like a, a small town component. That's like it's supposed to be like a PEI style, like a Charlottetown style boardwalk, right? With old style buildings and like a giant maple leaf square. And inside it, they had uh, they had like one building that was open for people to sit down, and they're kind of showing you that what people were doing with the park ever since it closed. And like there was stuff there from like 2018, so it's like the park's being used. Mm-hmm. One fun thing is that they had flags for every province, except they forgot Saskatchewan. Huh. Ah, oh, poor Saskatchewan. They're always getting short of the stick. And then we stepped out of the building, and I noticed that there was a door that was, the lock had broken and was opened, and you could get into an old kitchen. So I kind of poked around. Chelsea started looking for a bathroom, and uh, Chelsea started walking up a path, and she noticed a black car. And uh, there was a dude sitting in the sitting in the driver's seat, and uh, he was fully reclined, and he looked pretty comfortable. And then I stepped out of the kitchen and see the black car, and then I see a woman's head pop up. Oh, 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 that is gnarly, man. (laughs) And I'm just laughing my ass off. Because, like, I didn't even have the presence of mind to, like, throw a thumbs up or something. (laughs) I just started laughing my ass off. And there's this Japanese dude who's dressed like he just came out of his office. And then now this woman's head poked out from behind the dash. And we're just, like, for the rest of the trip now, Chelsea and I are trying to figure out, what the fuck's going on? Why did someone come all the way out here just for the sole purpose of getting a blowjob? Uh, no, that's funny. That is funny. That's one of those un, unexplained fucking things, man. Oh, speaking about another unexplained thing, we left the park, and uh, we're driving down the road, and there's this fox walking up the side, walking up the other side of the road from us. So he's like, walk, so we're driving down on the left, and he's walking up the right lane, you know, as cars regularly, as foxes regularly do. And in his mouth, he's got like a, He's got, like, a grocery store bag with what looks like a donut in it. And uh, as we're driving by, he stops and looks... He stops right next to Chelsea's driver... Like, I want to say about 20 feet, if that, from Chelsea's driver's side window and just stops and looks at her. Right. And I'm like... She's like, what should I do? I don't want to drive to move it. And he's just staring at us. And, like, we honk at it. And he just doesn't phase him he just keeps looking at us and then like we start driving and then like it looks like the fox does like a little shrug and then just keeps walking down the road that's kind of neat yeah and we're just like what the fuck was that it's like this fox is carrying his fucking groceries up the goddamn street looks at the humans just like hello I am a fox and you're just like why are you in the road 
Hong Kong doesn't move. And Chelsea was like, if that's a fucking fox god coming down, like, he deigns the hu- these mortal humans with his to meet with them, and all they fucking do is honk at him. We just doomed a bunch of people in this city. Because, like, what the fuck else is that? I don't know, man. It's like when uh, my dad, my stepmom went down to Arizona years ago, and my stepmom said to my dad, says, oh, look, honey, look at this dog. And my dad goes, I don't think you should pet it. That's a coyote. Oh, Jesus. But it's like, what was weird is just the fox was just sitting. He was walking up his lane of the road, and then just stops and looks at us. But overall, though, the trip was pretty good for you, eh, Tim? Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. Got to see a good concert, uh, saw Chelsea's family, and uh, met the Japanese equivalent of the mystical space coyote. Had it been voiced by Johnny Cash, though? Well, I guess his the Japanese equivalent would be like Norio Wakamoto or something, but... Uh... Oh, and I guess I also saw Duke get his dick sucked. That was pretty fun. That's true, that's true. I mean, it's not like a couple years ago with the Stampede where a chick was getting dummied by two dudes. What? Don't you remember that? It was like, uh, what was it? I think you guys were living in Ontario at the time. There was a vi- there was like a picture somebody posted on, on Facebook and on Twitter of this chick getting fucking dummied by two guys in the Calgary Stampede grounds. It was like oh, behind sh- a dumpster. Oh, that's gross. I know, and it's funny, when I came up with the Stampede last year, all my buddies were just like, man, you better not have a photo of this when you come back, and I'd be like, I'll, I'll be sure to delete the evidence. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. But no, man, that's great to hear that your guys' trip in Japan went really well. I had a chance to look at the pictures Chelsea posted, and it looked like you guys had a really awesome time. And actually, one question I do want to ask, though, because you're talking about the concert you went to. And I know that you've been to a few of these in the past. Explain to me how those work. Like, do they have a live band up there, or do they have sort of like the songs would play over the PA and somebody would come onto the stage and sing them? Live band. Live band? This song was a live band. The last one I went to was song over the PA. They do both. Okay, yeah, because I know, like I said, like you've talked about it in the past, and I've always been curious about how that actually works. So that's why I had to bring it up. Yeah, this one, that concert was nuts, though, because like some of these performers are just, they give her, like, uh, for one of the songs, uh, so one of the groups is a five-year-old idol troupe, and uh, kind of the front man, uh, uh, yes, uh, I always forget her name, but... Uh, Yes and no. no, but uh, one of the girls, uh, Minori, was just, she did full laps of this stage that looked like it was about 50 meters long. And she was doing laps of the fucker while singing. While singing. It was insane. So it's like, it's a high-energy high performance. And I think they had, like, at the end at the end of the day, they had one, two, three, four, five, six or seven acts throughout the two days. So it was a hell of a concert. Oh, that's awesome to hear, man. So I'm just going to give a quick update on what I've been up to because since we last spoke, a few things have happened. First of all, we finally we finally finished the school year. We finished it on Friday. It was the graduation day. The kids all left, and that was a really busy day because I started about 10 in the morning, and we didn't get out of there till probably 6, 6.30 at night. We were just so busy. We were pumping out coffee and hot water and 
sandwiches and stuff for the parents and the teachers and the staff and students that were there for the graduation. It went smoothly. It was a lot of work, and I'm glad that we don't have to do that for another year. Got a couple. And you'll of, see the group of kids again. Yeah, and thankfully we are coming into the summer, which, unfortunately, as I've mentioned on the show, I I won't be able to come up to Calgary for the Stampede. Sucks, but you know what? It happens. But one thing that I'm going to be doing this summer is I am going to be working full time this year because in the last couple of years I've worked, we've worked a lot of weddings. And while they are fine and whatever to work, it work has been kind of sparse throughout the summer. You might work three, four days in a row. You might work five days in a row. You might work three days in a row. But my boss actually did something for us this summer. He got more camps coming to the school this year, so we'll be working five days a week throughout the summer. Nice. Yeah, and of course there'll be like the occasional wedding thrown in and whatever, but yeah, it's going to be mostly camps. A lot of them are going to be here for four, five weeks maybe at a time because they are coming from overseas or they're over coming from, I think there was one group last year that came from England. Like they came over for like three, four weeks at a time for like an academic camp or sports or whatever they're doing. So they come to the campus, we feed them. It's all good and go. And I actually have officially recovered from my back injury, which I suffered in April. And that was just fucking hell like to go through that because I couldn't bend down. I couldn't really move. I was a lot of pain. I went to the chiropractor, which made me feel really old at, you know, all of 27 years old that I actually went to a chiropractor for the first time. Never been. Hopefully I don't have to. Yeah. But no, my back is feeling better and, you know, things have been going really well. And like I said, I've been going on a bit of a wrestling kick, so I will talk a little bit about this. Uh, First thing I did get a chance to watch, finally, I did finally get to watch the movie Fighting With My Family. And it's the sports biopic on former WWE wrestler Paige. And it was produced by Dwayne Johnson, which if you saw the movie and you saw the poster, he's obviously in it. And overall, I really, I had to watch it twice because I had mixed feelings the first time watching it. Because I do know Paige's life story and the behind the scenes stuff as a wrestling fan. Because there was a documentary done on her life prior to coming to WWE. And from prior interviews she's done, like with Steve Austin, whatever, you'd really get to know what was going on with her when she first came over, joined NXT, and then joined the main roster. And that's where the movie kind of has the creative liberty with that because, yes, they do show her coming over, and yes, they do show a lot of the key things, but a couple of things that really, for me, were kind of nitpicky. Number one, they didn't really show much of her stuff in NXT, which she was quite decorated in that, in like the developmental stages going into their main roster. A few of the little things, like, based on her life story, either didn't happen or were out of order. But one thing that really bugged me, and I could not figure out why it bugged me so much, is the character Vince Vaughn plays in the movie was totally made up for the movie. He does not, ex- he does not exist. The, that guy does not exist. He is based off a real person. A real person, by the way, who is a hell of a lot more interesting than he is in that movie, and it's based on former wrestler, former manager, former booker, the late Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes was such an interesting character and he had that lift to him. And that's probably the one big problem I had with the movie is that obviously Vince Vaughn's character is based on Dusty Rhodes and Dusty was a big influence on Paige 
when she first came over and I don't know why I, I don't know it maybe it's because I knew the, the story behind it and it really I don't know why it stuck in my cross so badly that he had there was like not even any mention to him in that movie at all and he had a bigger role in Paige's career than The Rock did The Rock had nothing to do with her at all is it just The Rock trying to make himself seem more important or yeah yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was just one of those things where... Well, obviously, he's a producer on the movie, so he kind of had to shoot, shoehorn himself somehow into that movie so that people who don't like wrestling could see, oh, Dwayne Johnson's in this movie. Let's go have a look at it. And they really could have cut him out of the movie because he really didn't add much to it. But overall, uh, I did watch it twice. I liked it the second time. If I just put all the stuff aside, like I said, I do wish that they had... Dusty Rhodes, and obviously he's he's passed away now, but if they had the character of Dusty Rhodes in that movie, I think it would have had a better impact on it than just Vince Vaughn's character, and he didn't do a bad job. He did not do a bad job in the movie, but I just kind of felt like for wrestling fans who watched it and know how much Dusty meant to Paige's career, and Paige even says in, doc, in interviews, like I said, what Dusty Rhodes meant to her and how he helped her along. That would have been great, but, you know, other than that, I really enjoyed the movie. I, I do recommend it, but as long as you go in with a with an idea that, okay, it's not 100% factual. They do take some liberties, and basically the only other problem I had with the movie is that if you've seen any sports biopic, you know how it plays out. And it plays out the exact same way in this one. Underdog story. Yeah, pretty much the underdog where came from nothing... You know, gets a chance, something happens, they pull back, and then they go back into it. Basically like that. Is that anything like Paige's actual career? Or? Uh, Paige's career is weird, because Paige's career, while she was decorated, I can't say she had the most noted careers of all time, because while she did have some really good matches, and she was a good character... Overall, yeah, I don't think her impact is really all that important on WWE in the women's division, which I will give a WWE credit as much as they are terrible right now. That's the one thing that they have done very well is that the women's division has been very interesting and the characters are very believable. And even I think in the last WrestleMania, that was the main event. It was an all women's match. That's awesome. That is awesome. But one thing that was really awesome is that I finally got to watch a wrestling pay-per-view over the last couple of weeks. Nice. And the pay-per-view was the brand new promotion, All Elite Wrestling's Double or Nothing pay-per-view, which came out in late May. And overall, I really enjoyed it. I really thought it was a really good pay-per-view. The matches were really well done. There's a few of them I didn't really care for, like the fatal four-way match between uh, Britt Baker and Kylie Ray, and the appearance of Awesome Kong, who has been on the independent scene for a long time. Awesome Kong's appearance was just not really noteworthy. Yeah, it was cool to see it, but she had added nothing to that match. That match was a very standard match. It's like, okay, it's like whatever, long. It was what it was. And there was a lot of matches on the card that were sort of like three and a half stars and a four 
stars out of five. And I mean, the Sol- the first one, the Sokal uh, Uncensored versus Stronghearts, I really enjoyed it. I thought that was a really good match, and I thought overall, I-, I wouldn't say it was the best match of the night, which I will talk about here in a few minutes, but I would say probably third best match, maybe fourth best match of the night. And th- that's probably the thing I didn't like about this um, pay-per-view is that the women's matches were not that all that great. It just was what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Sucks that you, you paid extra for it, though, I guess. But if it was fun all around, it is what it is. It is what it is. And unfortunately, or fortunately for my wallet, I didn't uh, pay for it. I actually had to pirate it because I couldn't pirate. find it up here for whatever reason. And maybe somebody will listen to this and be like, oh, you know, you could have done this, this, and this, and this. But I didn't do that. I pirated it. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, the tag matches were good. Uh, yeah, and then there was a few other matches, like the Young Bucks and Lucha Brothers. I did enjoy that one. The headliner of Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, it was good, but given that I have watched parts of their last match at... What would have been the last match? All In, which is at Madison Square Garden... That was nothing compared to the one at all in. Like this one was, it was good. It was a really good match, and there was some, and there was a really cool run in by John Moxley, who was known as Dean Ambrose in WWE. So that was really cool. And the only five star match of the night, and wrestling companies and wrestling promotions around the world, a lot of the great matches, a lot of the five star matches, have names that are three words. You know, you can think of Savage versus Steamboat, Austin versus Bret Hart, Andre versus Hogan. AEW had that match. And that, of course, was Cody versus Dustin. Cody versus Dustin Rhodes. And I was talking about the Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Cody and Dustin are his sons. And this is the first time they've actually wrestled, as far as I know, in a promotion. And this is a match that, if I was being perfectly honest... Going into this pay-per-view, this was going to be the match I thought this would have stunk the place out because Dustin Rhodes is 50 years old. From what I understand, and maybe I might be wrong, I don't think he's wrestled in a while and his body is really beaten up. Like, he's been around. He's wrestled for WWE as Gold Dust, and he's wrestled for WCW and all these other promotions. And I thought, okay, let's have a look at this match. And I know Cody can wrestle, so I wasn't too worried about that. I was more worried about Dustin and this was hands down the best match of the night. I was sitting here watching it going like, holy shit, like this is fucking amazing. And it was such a met like the pacing was really good. The storytelling was really good. And for me, there was one spot in that match where it turned from a good match to a great match. And there was uh-huh. a moment where Cody or Dustin had Cody in the corner and Dustin was going to charge at him. Where Cody decided to be a bit of a dick, he undid the middle turnbuckle. So it was just like he had the three turnbuckles. It was like the top one and middle one were there. The middle wasn't. Oh. And Dustin saw that the turnbuckle was right in front of him. He looked down. He picked it up. He turned to the crowd. He threw it into the crowd, and he charged at him. And he went head first into it. And that's what split him open. Like, if you go and you watch it on YouTube, and you just see how bloody that match really was... It was like, wow. Like, And this was a match, and when I was five, six years old seeing Steve Austin and Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13, I really hope that a kid watches this today 
and gets inspired to watch wrestling like I did back then. Because I was watching that, and you totally believe like they were beating the crap out of each other. Even if it's predetermined, even if you think it's quote-unquote fake, you can't fake how good that match was. And even that final promo where Cody tells Dustin that he doesn't get to retire here and that he needs to ask him a favor... And he goes on for their next match at Fight for the Fallen, which I think is in July, if I'm not mistaken. He does say, he says, you know, Dustin, I don't need a partner. I don't need a friend. I need my older brother. And they just hugged in the crowd, gave him a standing ovation. Nice. But it's just good choreography, man. Absolutely. That's all you need. And, you know, and I understand that people will go, oh, wrestling's fake. Wrestling's pre. Yes, wrestling is predetermined, but it's not fake. Because you watch the injuries these guys suffer and females suffer in the ring. You you cannot fake that. I mean, if you think wrestling is fake and you think what they do is not real, go ask Steve Austin, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels. Go ask these guys about the injuries they've suffered in the ring. Then their careers have ended. Go ask, Chris, or I guess you can't ask Chris Benoit. He's dead now. And Owen Hart. Go ask their families. Go ask their widows that you think it's fake. Because those two guys are dead now because of it. Yeah, it's just like, that's hard shit to do. It is. And I know even, uh, like, Jake the Snake Roberts and Scott Hall have fallen on hard times. And they've gone to drug addiction and alcoholism and everything because of wrestling. And thankfully, they have cleaned their acts up and they are doing well now. So I am glad to say that. And to close out our house cleaning, I think we should talk about some Sens news because there has been some Sens news that we haven't discussed. And I guess we should, we should start off with. So the Ottawa Senators, we have officially hired our new head coach and a new assistant coach. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, the Ottawa Senators have hired DJ Smith as head coach and they have also hired former New York Islanders head coach Jack Cabellano as an associate head coach. For the Senators. Now, since Twitter was not happy with the hiring of DJ Smith, and understandably because he was the least likely candidate to get hired, he has no experience as a head coach. His previous coaching experience was he was the defensive coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs last year. A very terrible defense for the Leafs. And it just seemed like, oh, look at, there's Eugene Melnick going after the guy working for the Leafs, and he's the cheaper option. And, But you know what? The more I think about it and the more I read about him, I'm glad they went with him. Because, honestly, I don't think I could have sat here and been happy if they had did retreads of, say, Jacques Martin or Patrick Watt. Even though that would have been a total shit show, seeing Patrick Watt as the head coach of the Sens. I'm glad that they can finally say Jacques Martin was a great head coach back in the day. We are not going to ruin that legacy and Patrick Watt had his problems as head coach in Colorado. We're not going to bring that on. But I don't know. I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people say Sheldon Keefe should have been hired. They said this person should have been hired. That person should have been hired. The more I think about it, I'm fine with DJ Smith being hired as head coach. Yeah, I'm fine. I think I might have preferred maybe bringing Trent Mann up from Belleville, but I can understand if he's fine staying there, keeping him there. He's done a good job with that team so far. Uh, Sheldon I guess it's hearing like Morgan Riley talk about uh, DJ Smith. It's good that like it seems like Morgan Riley learned a lot from DJ Smith and has a very good relationship with him. So that bodes well for Thomas Shabbat, uh, Brandstrom, and Wolanin. Yeah, 
Toronto's defense seems perfectly happy with the guy. Yeah, it's, I think at first I was a little shocked, but I'm fine with it. I can, a lot of people weren't too happy with He made some infamous comment about uh, not trust, like, what's the course of that play? But he seems like, a, from at least the interviews he's done, he seems like a guy who's at least intellectually curious. So I'm willing to write off the previous joke. At this point, it's just let's see what he can do. For sure. And I know it's something that since Twitter even poked fun at was that the Senators now have two DJs. They have DJ Smith as head coach, and they have since DJ Alex Marchant. And I love that Alex Marchant even commented that on Twitter, saying that, okay, yes, I get it. The Ottawa Senators have two DJs. You know, feel free to leave your comments here. I roll. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but I mean, granted, last time I checked, DJ Smith didn't have DJ Prosper with him. True. Yeah. So moving on to I the, guess the big thing with Sorry, so go ahead, Tim. I don't really know enough about Capuano. He wasn't he wasn't the best coach, wasn't the worst coach. No, from what I understand he so, was a very stubborn head coach in New York as like Dan Balsma was with Pittsburgh, as say Guy Boucher was with Ottawa. But I remember saying and I remember saying this to somebody on Twitter, I said Jack Capilano looks like the kind of guy that would go to a minor hockey league game. Not like, you know, like like minor hockey, like um, like the minor league, kids. but like a kid's game. He has a lift kit, a truck. He wears the Ar- Under Armour jacket, and he's out there smoking a dart with a tall double-double. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and he's like bragging, yeah, to, the he other, bragging to the other parents how good he used to be when he was that age. He's that guy. He's that guy. Yep. Speaking sure. of that guy, you remember we talked about the Randy Lee situation. Well, it's back in the news. The oh, shuttle, boy. Yeah, the shuttle bus driver involved with the Randy Lee situation is now suing the Ottawa Senators. Now, since this story has come out, there hasn't been any details, or not details, but any development in that story. So I there really isn't much to go on about. All I know is that... He did sue the Sens for this about a year afterwards for emotional grievances or damages or whatever he was suing them for. And yeah, since that story's come out, there really hasn't been any development in the story. So I really don't know what to say about it, honestly. I mean, honestly, we've been talking about this for a while and we even we said at the time, you know, I wouldn't we wouldn't be surprised if the driver goes after the team. And I under and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think the owner of the bar that he picked Randy Lee up from also got sued, if I'm not mistaken. Oh jeez. Yeah, so this might be something that develops over the summer. We'll have to keep an eye on it. And if it does, we'll have to talk about it in season three. Yeah. Yep. I'm surprised it took him so long to get fired though, but because, like, it seemed pretty, like, the no contest seemed pretty clear-cut. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I think if they had fired Randy Lee, that he would be, or the Senators and Eugene Melnick would still be on the hook for that contract for how much longer he has left. And we know that Eugene Melnick doesn't have the finances. It's hard, though, because if it's if it's terminated with cause, like, they probably, 
probably have some sort of morality clause that gets them out of the whole thing. True. I mean, I, I don't know what to say about it. Honestly, they should have done it, but it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit sad. It is. Now, switching gears here and talking about some happy news. We have a few signings to talk about. Now, there were some other signings like Nick Ebert and Andreas Anglin that got signed as well. But we're going to talk about the two big signings that have happened since we've been away. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Anders and Nilsson signing because that happened right before we went on our break. So we won't be talking about it. It was a good signing, and you know, there's nothing we could really say about the Anders and Nilsson signing. I'm happy he's staying around. He didn't give us a false sense of security at goal, and I'm happy with it. And another player that we got to talk about... Anthony Duclair signs a one-year, $1.65 million contract for the Senators. I am really happy the Senators have re-signed him, and I know that you and I both agreed that he was the bright spot for the Senators post-Stone being traded, post-Duchesne being traded, Dezingle being traded, and that he came into the team and he put up some numbers right out of the gate, and there was some talk about, oh, will he come back, will he not come back, and... I'm glad that they actually gave him the one-year sort of a prove-it-to-me contract. That, yes, you put up these numbers for X amount of games, but we want to see how you do over a full season before we fully commit to you. And the number's really good. Like, at $1.66 million, I'm happy with that for one year. It's a show-me contract, low-risk, high-reward. For sure. And, you know, if he can get 20 to 25 goals next season then absolutely, I would be more than happy to keep him on for the next couple of years. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It's up to him, though. Absolutely, and I feel that because Ottawa's talent level is pretty thin coming into the 2019-2020 season, that the Senators could possibly put him in a position where he succeeds. But it's up to him if he wants to take that and run with it, though. Exactly. Let's talk about Marcus Hogberg. He re-signed with the Senators for two years, $1.4 million. I'm happy that Marcus Hogberg is returning, and I think he will be in the AHL next season. But when we actually get to talk about their draft class, I'm happy with the signing, but I feel that now Ottawa has maybe too many goalies in the system, if that makes any sense. Especially with Joe Wells. Yeah. Condon's probably going to Robot Island, let's be perfectly honest, but then you have Decord and Well, it depends how long like if the new draftee is coming straight to the A straight to the A or is he gonna I'm not sure if he's still CH I, I think he has another year or two in the WHL. Yeah, I think he does. I think is he is eighteen or something, seventeen. So yeah, I don't know. I think he's a few years away, but you also gotta factor in we have uh Gustafson as well. And Gustafson is probably going to be the starter in Belleville next season unless, like you said, they put Condon on Robodaw Island and maybe they bring him up or they bring in another backup goalie for Anderson next season. Yeah. Well, well no, actually, that's well, not true because we got Anders Nilsson. No, never mind. Jeez. Yeah. So what's problem? What I think a lot of people are expecting is that Andy break, like Andy gets injured again next season for a decent amount of time and then you've got – and then you run Nielsen Hober. Yeah, I, I would be okay with that. And then all like there's space for all the goalies now, especially especially with Condon going to Robodaw Island or getting bought out. Yeah. 
So, Tim, I don't have anything more to add for our third line plug house cleaning, which means I think we should take a break because we've actually been talking quite a bit here and we still haven't got to our 2019 draft class. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, guys, for now, we're going to take a really quick break here in the third line plug sense, guys, and we will return with the 2019 Ottawa Senators draft class. Coming right back. Hey, it's Ian Mendes from TSN 1200. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Okay, guys, welcome back to the 2019 Ottawa Senators draft class. Now, the draft just finished up here yesterday on Saturday, which means we got to start talking about some draft picks, Tim. And I think that there was a moment from a movie from 2004 that perfectly summed up this draft class. And I believe it was um, Jason Bateman said in the movie Dodgeball that this is a bold this is a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it works out. And by bold, you mean entirely conservative and reaching for every pick? Then yes. Yeah, pretty much. And look, I understand that this was not the best draft class from what I'm seeing, and since Twitter was not very happy with the picks. But the only thing that we could probably do, Tim, is... Start talking about the picks. So, to start it off, drafted in the first round, 19th overall, defenseman from the Kelowna Rockets, Lassie Thompson. Now, Lassie is a skilled two-way defenseman, decent skater who can move the puck well, and is more of a shooter than passer. He really does fill a much-needed role at right-handed defenseman. The big problems with him, though, and anybody who read anything the other night on Twitter about it, the Senators did reach to get him as he was ranked to be taken somewhere in the second round, with some saying he was a late first rounder. Yeah, and seeing how some of the other picks that fell around Lassie Thompson, it's a little surprising. I find that a little surprising, but who knows? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I went and I looked through the picks that were drafted there over the last couple of days, and... Like I said, I can understand why Ottawa took him because we do need some really good right-handed shot defensemen. And the other defensemen that were taken in the first round were all left-handed. But honestly, this is a pick that I would have been more okay with if he was taken, say, in the second round because we had two draft picks. He did not need to go 19th overall. For sure, especially if we had have, we have the 31st pick. Sorry, 32nd pick. Yeah. Um, another thing about Lassie Thompson is that he will be playing in Finland next year, which could be a good thing if it gives him time to develop and it gives him some much-needed playing time playing against the men in Finland. But, again, I don't know. I think there is definitely better prospects they could have taken at 19, and I do think he should have been taken maybe in the second round. But I don't have much to say about him. I watched a little bit, and... He is a good puck-moving defenseman that we do need on the right side. But honestly, He's got a hell of a shot. He does have a hell of a shot, but I just feel that we really reached for him, especially with other better prospects at positions that we needed, too. Mm-hmm. Well, the Sens desperately need forwards in general, so I'm surprised they let Kaliev fall. And Kaliev fell a ways, too. Holy shit. Yeah, speaking of Calivo... Drafted second overall, 31st overall from the Tri-City Storm of the United States Hockey League, Shane Pinto. Now, Shane Pinto, from what I understand, he's a consistent scorer at every level with a quick and accurate shot. Room, room. 
He does add much-needed depth at center, or added depth at center, I should say, even though we, we do have a pretty good... We have some pretty good depth at center, and if we were going to go for a centerman, I think we should have gone for somebody like Raphael Lavoie. And again, we reached a draft him at 32nd, and much you're saying about uh, Calave, he should have been taken, Calave should have been taken at 32nd, given Ottawa has a need for speedy right wingers. But the fact that he felt like he was predicted to go in the first round and fell into the second, like, you have to wonder what his rap sheet is at this point. True, and you know what? Over the last couple of days, I've thought about him, and I'm thinking, you know, Ottawa, and the one country that we have not got anywhere near over the last decade has been Russia, and that's what I thought. I thought, okay, this kid's probably Russian, and that's why they don't go for him. But I looked him up, and he's not from Russia. He's from a country in Central Asia. I think it's called Uzbekistan or something. And yeah, and it, I remember when I read that, my first thought was. It kind of sounds like Zabenajad. <laughs> Maybe we should have taken him if that was the case. But, yeah, like I said, I mean, Shane Pinto, a lot of people said that they, we reached to get him, and I totally agree. I think there was better prospects, especially if Ottawa was going to go for centers. Lavoie could have been a better option. Kelevic could have been a way better pick at 32nd. But... You know, maybe Pierre Dorian, as you and I were saying, Pierre Dorian must see something that the rest of the scouts don't. Mm hmm. But it's like, that's well and fine, but just holy shit diving. Diving quite a bit. And I'm a little, I am worried. Yeah, me too. I mean, and I've already made my point clear. We should have gone after wingers instead of centers, but, you know, nothing we could do about it now. Yeah. Especially because they passed up on a guy who got. 51 goals in 67 games in the OHL for a more steady defenseman type. Yep. Moving on to the next pick, also taken in the second round, 37th overall, goalie from the Medicine Hat Tigers of the Western Hockey League, Mads Sogard. Now, Mads Sogard was the second-ranked North American goalie. He's a big body at 6'7", 196. A lot of comparisons to Ben Bishop. A couple of knocks I have on him was that, as I said in our house cleaning, Ottawa does not have a need for goalies, as we already have a number of them in the system, like Hogberg, Gustafsson, Anderson, Nilsson, Decord. We already have these guys in the system. And, again, this was another reach because Sogard was ranked to be taken in the late second, early third rounds. Yeah, and it's also just kind of weird seeing them go like, do the big old goalie raffle ticket so early and trade, give up a third to do it. It's nuts. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't the first time we've done it. We did it with Robin Leonard. We tried with Ben Bishop, and neither of them really panned out for Ottawa for, for different reasons, obviously. And Solgard, I don't know, from what I've seen, I mean, I haven't seen much on him, but... You know, if he can develop and be a really solid goalie for the Ottawa Senators and maybe even crack the main roster, I would be happy. But at the same time, dude rocked a point nine two in uh, the WHL, which is frankly ridiculous. That is true. That is true. And like I said, I mean, if he can develop to be a pretty solid goalie, I'll be happy with it. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. Taken in the fourth round, 94th overall, center from 
Orfbro Hockey Club in Sweden, Victor Loden. Now, Loden has pretty decent size and numbers for a kid. The only knock on him is that he is 20 years old, and again, we do not need more centers. And he just he seems more like a depth piece at center more than anything else. Yeah, and I I actually don't even really know if he has that big of a hope of coming to the NHL. Mm-hmm. To the part point where uh, Corey Pronman didn't even bother writing anything about him in his Senators draft recap. You know what's funny is that if you go onto Wikipedia and look him up, it's just like one paragraph. And that's all it says. Like Victor Loden was taken 94th overall by the, the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, like... If if he even signs an entry level contract, I'll be surprised. Yeah, this I think this is a I think this is a pick they should have taken a lottery ticket on. That's true. That is true. Taken in the fifth round, one hundred twenty fifth overall centerman from the Calgary Hitmen of the Western Hockey League, Mark Kastelik. Now Kastelik's a big guy who can score. He put up seventy seven points in sixty six games for the Hitmen last season. He does add some size at center, which is good given that if you look at some of the guys outside of Logan Brown, we don't really have a lot of big guys at center. The only knock I can see him is that he is twenty years old, and with the other centers that we have in the system, he might get lost on the depth chart if he doesn't develop. I don't get this pick, and I don't get why they're pulling. They were pulling these old guys, like. Well, older guys. Like, they've been passed over twice. And there's probably a reason for that. Again, it's a late pick. Who gives a shit? These things don't... These things are more likely to not pan out than they are to pan out. But still, wow. Yeah, and I mean... Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I've already made my point clear. Like, we didn't need any more centers. And I I understand that maybe they saw him and be like, okay, here's a big guy who can score. And maybe if he develops to be an AHL centerman, they'll be fine with him. Because he can prove, like, he's a big boy. He's like 6'3", 225 or whatever he is at 20 years old. Like, he's pretty big. But I don't know how high and how much of a ceiling he has, given that I think he's already kind of topped out at 20 years old. But... You know, if we can give it a few years and maybe he develops into something, then maybe we could look back at this and be like, boy, was Tay wrong about him. Yeah, it's hard because at the same time, I guess it just reminds me of an older, lower-ranked Curtis Lazar. But again, at, at, at the fifth round, who cares? Sorry, this is sixth round now. Who cares? No, it's fifth round. Fifth round? Okay, who cares? Yeah. And the final draft pick taken seventh overall or seventh round, one hundred eighty seventh overall defenseman from the Val d'Or Fierres, Maxine Goyette. Now Goyette does add some decent size and another right-handed shot defenseman, which is needed. Yeah, I don't see a future any jeller at all. Well, I mean, it's a seventh round pick, but we've hit home runs before, so who knows? But. Remember back in the day when these picks used to be pretty much exclusively for guys who punched other guys? Yep, that's where guys like uh, Derek Bugard and Ryan Vandenbush and Bob Probert and these guys were all taken. But surprisingly, not Link Gates. Not Link Gates? No, he was a second rounder. But then again, people thought Link Gates would actually be able to play before he lost his mind. Well, from what I understand, is, and I was reading some stuff on Link Gates years ago, is that Link Gates reminded a lot of people of Darian Hatcher, 
Like, he was a big guy. He had some wheels to him. He had the good hands. And then a couple of years goes by. He gets out of shape. He's got a shot like a marshmallow. And he's just known as a fighter. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember reading an article a way back uh, during, like, when he was drafted by San Jose. They saw, it was like, yeah, he has the ability to be a good player. And then, like, something snapped in his brain. And then all of a sudden, he just became a, like, he did all this crazy shit. I think he I think he went to jail or something. Yeah, he appeared. Somewhere along the line. Well, when he got drafted, apparently he got into a bar fight. So if you look at his draft picture, he's got two black eyes. Jesus. Yeah, but apparently after his rookie season in San Jose, he got into a really bad car accident where he almost died. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, but I do you know like the is? quote from the former Sharks GM, or not from Sharks GM, the Stars GM, where he said, "We drafted Mike Medano in the first to protect the fran- or save the franchise. We drafted Link Gates in the second to save Mike. We should have drafted a lawyer in the third to save Link." Yeah, no kidding. Because, like, it was weird because he had reasonable production in the A, like the IHL. And his first season in the NHL was decent for a punchy guy. But then, all of a sudden, Evil Link showed up. You mean Dark Link? Dark Link, yeah, pretty much. Well, I guess he had that 318 penalty minutes in 1989. So, maybe Dark Link was always, like... What a weird guy. I know. I'm just looking up his stats here right now, and yeah, um, yeah, it seems like he's a pretty crazy dude. Uh, from what I understand, his brain stem was injured in the car accident, and he awoke with his left side paralyzed and no memory of the accident. And apparently his mom flew down to San Jose or wherever it happened, and basically to hear doctors say that he, her son might die. Yeah, and now he just punch plays punchy game. Yeah, and he was even in uh, Battle of the Hockey Enforcers, the made for TV event, which actually I have on DVD and I've never once watched it. Probably not that interesting, to be honest. Probably not. I, I might watch it one day, but eh, I don't feel like I'm feeling. I love how the Wikipedia article has a heading called "Hamburger Incident." Yeah, that that's pretty fucking funny. This, re- you know what? I read this, and all I can think of is the movie Goon. Pretty fucking good. <laughs> Sorry, this hamburger incident is just too good. Well, he was playing with the Thetford Mines Pro Lab of the League North American Donkey on March 13, 2005. The game against the Verdun Dragons. Gates did not take a shift during the first or second period. During the second intermission, Gates changed out of his jersey and skates and went out to the concession stand to buy a hamburger and, in quote marks, promptly ate it. Thetford Mines considered this disrespectful to the players and suspended Gates for the remainder of the season. <laughs> Just thought they didn't put him out, so he bought a hamburger. Yep. Oh, God that's damn. funny stuff, funny stuff. Although at this point, I feel like we've kind of gotten away from the draft class because, frankly, it's not interesting. And it's. I feel like, given that we didn't have any surefire picks we should have just been buying lottery tickets true that's my opinion on this yep actually one thing that did came out of the draft though we did have some really interesting trades to announce yeah yeah let's do that 
Yeah, and I, I guess the number, or the biggest trade we need to talk about, P.K. Subban is once again on the move. Yep. This time, P.K. Subban is now a member of the New Jersey Devils. This is an interesting trade because I think both teams are better off for it. Because even though like people are saying that P.K. Subban, I think he's 30 this year, has started to slow down, he still had a good year with Nashville. I know, and actually somebody on Twitter posted, how is it that Nashville could trade away Shea Weber, P.K. Subban, Seth Jones, and they're still one of the top defensive teams in the NHL? That's what good drafting is, my dude. Very much so, very much so. Now, the trade that sent me to the Devils going to Nashville was Steven Santini, prospect Jeremy Davies, and two second-round draft picks. Now, it's funny because my cousin, who's a diehard Devils fan, texted me. It was like, dude, P.K. Subban became a Devil. But think about it, though. It's like the Devils are going to be a better team next year because I think their goaltending won't be complete and utter ass. Yep, and they also got uh, Jack Hughes, first overall. Jack Hughes. You've got a one-year-older Nico Hersher. Yep, and uh, if Taylor Hall comes back next season, they've got a pretty good line right there. Yeah, and now you've got a... If maybe, like, you've got a top-pairing defenseman. Like, things are looking a lot better for New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, think I think it's going to speed up their, um, their rebuild a bit quicker. But I, I still don't see them making the playoffs next season. I just don't think that there's enough talent there to really make a run for it. And goaltending needs to be a hell of a lot better than it was last season because Corey Schneider completely fell off a cliff and they were using backup goalies at that point. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think if they if Corey, Corey Schneider's back to form, it's all fine. But we'll see what free agency has for the Devils because the Devils have a lot of money left. Oh, yes, they do, Tim. Yes, Even with the case Dubac's contract. So I guess the other so what, trade we I, should talk about, Tim, is Patrick Marlowe going to the Carolina Hurricanes and quickly will be bought out by the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, I think that that contract is one the Leafs will want back. Because Patrick Marlowe underperformed both years. Like, sure, the first year he scored 50 points, but he was shooting the nuts to do it. Like, his zone entries both years have been bad. He, he was, the Leafs were way worse with him off the ice than with him on the ice. And, yeah, it's just, Marlowe's been brutal in shot creation and getting into the zone and getting out of the zone. Yeah, so going to the Hurricanes along with Marlowe is a conditional first-round pick and a seventh-round pick in the 2020 entry draft. In exchange, the Hurricanes sent a sixth-round pick in 2020 to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, it's the big piece for that is that conditional first-round pick. And something interesting, though, is the Leafs bothered to put a condition on it. Yeah, and I think the condition was that if it's a top-10 pick, then it gets transferred over to 2021. Yeah, does that mean that the... I wonder if that means that either the Leafs are just covering their... I don't want to read too much into it because it's probably just the Leafs covering their asses as much as they can. Or does or is that suggest that the Leafs think they might even miss the playoffs next year? 
That's I don't it. see it, honestly. I don't see it either, but you know what? With this whole thing with uh, Mitch Marner right now, I mean, I don't know, because there's a lot of money that could be given to him, but that's going to be probably one of the big storylines of the summer is going to be what's going on with him, whether he gets traded out of town, he stays with the Leafs, or what happens. But I, I don't see the Leafs making the play or missing the playoffs next season. I see him making it again. Whether they come out of the first round remains to be seen. Yeah, well, it's like that. It would have to take like a lot of things would have to go wrong for the Leafs to miss the playoffs. Like it would probably be like Frederick Anderson going full Corey, Corey Schneider, like just the goaltending going off a complete cliff. Yep. Like, that's the only thing I could see doing it. And, like, somehow they end up losing both Marner and... Uh, both Marner and uh, Willie Nylander. Yeah, I know Leaf like, fans would, would have... rather see Nylander be traded out of town, but, you know, there's nothing they could really do about that. No, like, I, I'm just saying it would take a shitload for the Leafs to win. Yep. Yeah, so I guess we got one more trade. What trade do you want to talk about? Uh, JT Miller to the Canucks. Yeah, let's talk about that one. JT Miller is now the newest member of the Vancouver Canucks. Now, I'm quickly going to bring up the return here because I think a lot of Canucks fans might be... They might be a bit worried about this. So here it is right here. So, going to the Vancouver Canucks is JT Miller, like we going, like we said... Going to the Tampa Bay Lightning is Merrick Morazic, a 2019 third-round draft pick and a conditional first-round pick in 2020. This is this is a big balls play by Vancouver. Yeah, because I have his numbers here right now, and even though he put up 47 points last year, really, I mean, he he hasn't put up really eye-catching numbers. Like, his years in New York... He's put up numbers of 23, 43, a career-high 56 in 16-17, then went back to 40, gets traded to Tampa, then he has 18 and 47. Yeah, so, like, he's put together two 50-goal seasons. Sorry, 50-point seasons. And he's, like, a guy that you kind of pick up because he's really, he's really good at just making space in front of your own net and wreaking havoc in front of the opponent's net. Yeah, and we also have to point out that he's a winner internationally at every level. Like, he's won the World Juniors gold medal, IIHF World Under-18 Championships, and a World Under-17 Hockey Championships, which he's won gold in all three. Like, I think the big thing here is that you're gambling that, uh, like, the Vancouver's young stars take a big step forward. Especially Elias Pet sorry, especially Brock Besser. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know, it's like, I feel like maybe if the, maybe if the Canucks are able to grab, if they go into free agency, and I'm not sure if they're able to, I actually don't really, let me check the Canucks, uh, cap situation right now. Okay. Because they might be able to make a free agent splash, although I heard that they might be trying to get... Oh, they have seventeen million in cap space, even with uh, JT Miller. So they can make a splash in free agency. Although they do have to sign uh, Josh Lebo, 
they have a bunch of RFAs to sign. Mm-hmm. Although I wonder how many of them actually come back. I don't but know. Which, It'll be interesting to see, though. Hmm. Although, like, Quinn Hughes, they have Quinn Hughes coming up. So it's, there's a lot there's a lot of moving pieces here. Like, it, it might work. Who knows? I think so. I mean, it's... You know, the Canucks are going to be an interesting team next season because, you know, you have Elias Pettersson coming off a Calder Trophy win, and you have the young guys around him like Brock Besser, Bill Horvat, Quinn Hughes is probably going to make the team next year, and now JT Miller. Like, this could be a better team than what we saw last year, but I don't think that we're going to see a playoff team out of it. I think they're still a couple years away, and quite honestly, I think they're going to get out of the basement of the Western Conference next season. For sure. Yeah, it's like, I, I think they need to make another big move before they can really, before they'll de- they'll be a shoe-in playoff team. Yeah, because there's already talks that they're going to be talking with Tyler Myers on defense, but I don't know how much of an impact, or how much of a huge impact is that going to make for Vancouver going forward? Because he's a good defenseman, but he's not a top-pairing defenseman. He's more of a second pairing, maybe third if you have to put him in there, but I see more of a second pairing defenseman more than anything else. Yeah. The only thing, like, the other thing I can see them doing is maybe Jake Bertanen takes another step forward and they get rid of Louis Erickson. Yeah, because there's been talks that Louis Erickson could be swapped one for one with Edmonton for Milan Lucic, which, and it's funny, I said this to my mom there today, I was like, because she brought it up, and I said, you know what? Edmonton might end up winning that because Erickson at least can handle a puck and he can at least skate, where Lucic can't do either one of those. Lucic is just, like, he's really fallen off. And it's kind of sad. Yeah, but even in his days in Boston, like, he was never an amazing player. He was a really good player. But, you know, he was perfect for what the style the Bruins were running with in that 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, where they were really the, not so much a run and gun team, but they were definitely a hard hitting team and they were just run through everybody, much like the LA Kings of like 2012. They were, they were almost a modern Broad Street bullies. Yep. But it's just, yeah, if I'm Vancouver, I don't do the loose, I wouldn't pull that trigger on that trade because isn't Louis Erickson's contract shorter than Lucic's? I don't believe so, because I think Milan Lucic, let's have a look here. I think he's got another three years, because he signed it in, no, four years. I think he signed it in 2016. Let me have a look here, cap friendly. Because Erickson has three at six million. Okay, he's got three, so, uh, yeah, Lucic has got four. But after the second year, though, he's got a modified no-trade clause. But he's got a full no-movement clause. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, if I'm Vancouver, I stay the hell away from that. Yep. Lucic isn't coming back. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, from last season, Lucic only put up 20 points in 79 games. And he was playing on a team that has Dreisaitl and McDavid. Yep. Not good. No, not at all. Well, Tim, I don't have anything more to talk about if you want to head into the close for another evening. Sounds good, my dude. Okay, first of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. 
You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash thirdlineplugsensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at thirdlineplug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m901honeybadger, and I'm at greatwhitegipster, g-r-8-w-i-t-e-gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the 2019 Ottawa Centers draft class, shoot us an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo! So long, my time here is up. They're going home!